Welcome, welcome. Good to see you. So if somebody, if somebody comes up to me and says, you know, and when I'm traveling, they say, you know, I've been in Milwaukee. I used to live in Milwaukee, and I question whether they really did live in Milwaukee. I would ask them a few questions. I would say, do you know what custard is? And if they said, yeah, it's a pudding, I would question whether they really lived in Milwaukee, you know. I would say, do you know what blinkers are? And they go, what? I said, you know, turn signals. Oh, I question whether they lived in Milwaukee. If, if I told them, have you ever used a bubbler? And they said, a what? I would question whether they lived in Milwaukee. Same way, somebody comes up to me and says, yeah, I attended Grace Christian Fellowship for quite a while, and I don't, I don't know who they are. I would say, have you ever met Marty Spilches? And they would say, yeah, he used to sit next to me. I would say, no, you'd never been to our congregation. You'd never been there. But Marty Spilches came up to me one day, and he says, Frank, you know the word kvetch? Now, I know Marty, he's... He's, he's, he's actually, he's a born-again Jew. That's what he is. He's Jewish. And I said, kvetch. Yeah, I know what kvetch means. That, means. that means a gripe. You're a complainer. And then he goes on to tell me a joke. I said, I said now listen, make it a good one. <laughs> And he said, he said, you know, I've got, I, I've got this, this dog. And uh, he said, I took it to the veterinarian. And he said to the veterinarian, he said, uh, doctor, my dog has a problem. Uh, the doctor says, so, so tell me about your dog. Tell me about his problem. And so Spilches looks at his dog. He says, you know, my dog is Jewish. His name is Seth, and he can talk. He can talk. Watch this. Spilkes points the dog and commands, Seth, fetch, fetch. Seth, the dog, begins to walk towards the door, then turns around and says, so why are you talking to me like that? You always order me around like I'm nothing. And you only call me when you want something. And then you make me sleep on the floor with my arthritis. You give me the, the fricacta food and all the, <laughs> with, all, with, all, with all the salt and fat. And you tell me it's a special diet. It tastes like dreck. You, you should eat it yourself. And do you ever take me for a decent walk? No. It's out of the house, a short pish, and right, I come right back home. Maybe I could, maybe if I could stretch out a little, the sciatica wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't be all that much. I should roll over and play dead for real, for all you, for for all you care. Doctor was amazed. He says, "This is remarkable." So, what's actually the problem? Spilkes 
looks at the doctor and says, my dog Seth has a hearing problem. I said fetch, not kvetch. <laughs> that was a good one. God bless you. You can now go home. <laughs> I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that one with me, and uh, I'm going to go to Todd Westfall's congregation here next week. And I'm taking on that one with me. It's a good one. Uh, they don't know about Marty Spilkes yet, though. But I'm spreading the. I'm spreading the. I'm spreading his fame. <coughs> Marty Spilkes. We're laughing because I've got a. I've got um, a, a subject to speak on that's not very laughable. Okay. And I started putting this message together on casualty prevention, and I thought to myself, this is, sounding, this is sounding familiar. And so, you know, when you've been preaching as long as I have been preaching, uh, sermons start running together. And I thought, you know, I think I preached something like this. When did I preach this last? And something like this. Not the same message, but something like it. And I, I checked back in my records, and it's about four and a half years ago. Wow, I remembered this sermon. Well, that's good. Somebody remembers it. <laughs> I'm speaking on, but this is an important message. I'm speaking on casualty prevention. What is casualty prevention? Well, casualty means someone injured, lost, or, dis- or destroyed. Prevention means something done to stop something from happening. So casualty Prevention means the act of stopping or preventing something from being injured or destroyed. And the first parable in the New Covenant is one that indirectly speaks of casualty prevention. The first parable that that Jesus spoke in the Bible is about casualty prevention. So what is a parable? What is a parable? A parable is, is simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's a very simple way to explain a parable. Did you know in the book of John, there are no parables? Did you know that? You knew that? Yeah. I'm glad you remembered, because I taught that once. You know, but I forgot it. You know, the book of John, there are no parables. Well, let's look at the first recorded parable in the New Covenant, which is the parable of the sower. Now, listen carefully. In Matthew 13, verse 1 to 9. Now, in in, in in this first parable that Jesus taught his disciples, um, he actually explains what it really means. In Matthew 13, verse 1, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large, crowd, such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat, sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, 
which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Then Jesus goes on to explain what this really means. A few verses uh, later in Matthew 13, verse 18, he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown among the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, uh, it lasts only for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So, this is the first parable that, that Jesus spoke to the disciples and the other people that were listening. So, the seed is the same, but the soils are different. You understand that? It's the same seed that was sown into four different types of soil. And the way I see this, it probably has more than one meaning, but you know, the soil represents people. Now, I've been serving God for a lot of years, and, and I've seen people get excited about when they get saved. They're so excited. And then a couple months later, where are they? I see some people who, who, who give their lives, give their lives to Christ, and then pop, they're gone right away. You, don't, never, you never see them at all. And you wonder, how can this happen? How can this happen? Then you see people who have been serving God for many, many, many years, and all of a sudden, they're gone. You know, they seem to drift away. It's not like they've changed church families. No, they just left the body of Messiah as best they could. They just wanted to act like a, like a heathen. <clears throat> well... Let's look at these, these soils real quickly. The first soil uh, Jesus talked about is found on the path, or it's packed soil, packed soil. The seed doesn't have a chance to take root because of a lack of understanding. The seed just lays exposed on top of the soil. Some seed might begin to germinate, but the evil one snatches it all away, and it happens quickly, real quickly. And... Uh, Andy Gavin, who, who does um, missionary, missionary work and sees a lot of people get saved. Some people get saved just out of uh, emotion. And they raise their hand, they, they say the sinner's prayer, and they mean it. But that's about as far as it goes. Nothing happens after that, see. They never, they never read the Bible, they never go to church, they don't hang around with believers. Nothing happens push, they're gone. It's like they're not even saved. In fact, they don't even want to talk about that experience. The second soil Jesus talked about is the soil found on rocky places. That seed began to slightly germinate, and things looked good for a short time, but the seed didn't develop a root system to receive nutrients. 
So with the slightest adversity, it died and fell away. Didn't receive the nutrients. You know, it did nutrients. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word out of the mouth of God. Doesn't read the Bible, doesn't understand anything about the scriptures. Nothing. It's all, again, it's all emotional. And this person seems to last a little bit longer than the person on the ground that's packed. But when something happens, you know, family makes fun of him or his friends seem to reject him. He can't take this, this, he calls it persecution, which really isn't persecution. It's what it is. It's light and darkness. You know, darkness doesn't like the light too much uh, because the light expels darkness. And so people don't like to hang around believers sometimes that when they're really start serving God. They, they notice something different about them. Well, this person falls away. Why? Because it doesn't have a, a good root system. It's not cemented in the body of, of Christ. Um, doesn't take in nutrients from the word of God. And it, it seems they just, the person just disappears. It explains this type of a, of a person who makes a commitment to Jesus Christ. Then we have the third type of soil. Uh, Jesus talked about, and it's a good soil. It's a good soil, but it's found in a weedy, thorny environment. And there there are so many other things growing in the soil that the good seed was choked and didn't have the the nutrients to produce any fruit. The plant grew, but it didn't have enough nutrients to produce the fruit that it was meant to produce. And And what choked the good seed were called weeds, many different types of weeds. And uh, like a weed would be the worries of life or the, the, the deceitfulness of, of riches, of riches. And then we have the fourth type of soil. And uh, that's a good soil where there was hearing and understanding, and the soil produced an amazing crops uh, of 160 or 30 times what was actually sown. Now, that third type of soil, it looked like it was going to really produce good fruit because the plant grew up. But all of a sudden, something happened. Things began to happen, and there was no, no fruit produced on the plant. It was choked. Now, again, in... In 37 years of ministry, at least 37, uh, I don't think I've ever met a true believer who did not have a deep desire to live a long-lived, productive spiritual life. I don't think I've met one. Yet, many professing believers, they don't see that happen. When someone first comes into the kingdom of God, if I were to question them and say, listen, would, um, are, do you want to stay in the kingdom of God and just be very fruitful and be all that God wants you to be and has, has made you to be? They, everyone would say, yes, I, that's, what I, that's really what I want. I want to have my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life and, and be the person that God wants me to be. But very few people through the years are there. They they backslid, and I ask I ask why. Why? Because they 
the answer is they became a casualty. A casualty. And as a casualty, they don't produce the kind of spiritual fruit they once desire. Why? They usually became the third kind of soil where the worries of life or the deceitfulness of wealth choke them to the point of no spiritual fruit being produced. I've, these are the type that really hurt the most because they, they lock in like our, like our spiritual family, our church family. People lock in and you see them for a year or two and they get involved in ministry and you get, you get to really love them and they build a testimony and all of a sudden, bam, you don't see them anymore. And you, you do follow-up to try to find out what, what's, what's become of them and it's kind of like... like like they were into a fad, where Jesus is a fad. And now they're out of the fad. <clears throat> that's, that's, that's not the way it works, see? They're still a, a brother or sister in the Lord. They're still part of the kingdom of God, but they've drifted so far away. <clears throat> you know, as disciples of Christ, none of us wants to be a casualty in the body of Christ. <clears throat> nobody wakes up and says, ah, I think I'll be a casualty today. Nobody says that. <laughs> none of us wants to be a casualty, and none of us wants to go against the will of God. Again, nobody wakes up and says, ah, today I go against the will of God on purpose. None of us wants to disappoint Jesus by not producing spiritual fruit. And none of us wants to be found unfaithful to the call of God in our lives. This is something we don't want when we think about it, but it's something that happens when we become a casualty. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. For those that go through things, and if you don't think Paul, the Apostle Paul, ever went through anything, I read your Bible. You'll find out he went through things that none of us have ever dreamed of going through. Yet he hung in there. He hung in there and finished his race. The race isn't always easy. It's full of hardship, full of hardship. But it's worth it because the reward is eternal. Like Paul, all of us want to fight the good fight and finish our race. All of us want to keep the faith. All of us want the reward that's in store for us when we meet Jesus face to face. Yet, not all will receive the reward because they have become a casualty. When I think through the years of the people I've seen that were part of Grace Christian Fellowship, or in those days it was North Milwaukee Christian Center. Remember those days, Joel? Yeah, of all the people that used to be part of our congregation. Some people move on because of work, and, and there's some good reasons really to move on. But far too many people just became a casualty. 
Well, Frank, what causes a believer to become a casualty in the body of Christ? Well, in this first parable, parable of the sower, Jesus warns his disciples that overemphasizing, overemphasizing the cares of your life and the desire for wealth will choke the word of God out of your life. And thus you will become a casualty. Oh, have I ever seen that happen? I first saw it happen when I lived in Anchorage, Alaska, um, before I moved to Milwaukee. And those were the days when Alaska Pipeline was, was in full bloom, and people that were normally getting working for wages 8 to $10 an hour all of a sudden were making 25 30 and $40 an hour, and even more, and when they work overtime. And so they're up in Prudhoe Bay and these other places, and they're away from home for a length of time, a length of time, and the money's coming in, but all of a sudden, massive amounts of divorces. Massive amounts of divorces. Massive amounts of backsliding. Massive amounts. Why is that? It's all because they could not say no to working these large amounts of overtime. <clears throat> you know, in a national magazine years ago, uh, six highly paid U.S. executives were asked a question. And they were asked a question. Uh, one of the questions that was asked was, what, what's, what are your four greatest fears? And all the executive mentioned, in the, they all mentioned in different ways, that they had a fear of not having enough money. When asked uh, how much would be enough, each one said, a little bit more. A little bit more. Not satisfied. And, you know, think about that. You know, I can remember. This, is, this may sound strange to you, but it's heavy for me. I remember walking home from school. I must have been fifth, sixth grade, something like that. And I, I began to think about wages. And I thought to myself, you know, if I could someday go to college and maybe make $12,000 a year, I would be set for life. Thinking that. Wow. That was a long time ago, by the way. If I could just make $12,000, you know. How many think that's a good living today? No, it's not. It's part-time work. And then a little less. I've never, I've never been rich. Personally, I've never been rich, but I understand the testimony of the rich and famous is worldly goods never completely satisfies. Never completely satisfies. I'd like to try it. I'd like to see for myself, but it doesn't work. That's not, that's not where I'm at. <clears throat> Actually, I kind of have tried it. I spent time in the Philippines. 
I spend some time, time in, in Mexico. And in those countries, I'm quite wealthy. I could buy almost anything on the streets that I re really would like. I'd go to a vendor and almost afford anything I really want, but there's nothing I really want. But, the, but if I were to get something, I could go, like I'm in Mexico, I know this gal who's got, she runs um, a jewelry shop, and um, I minister to she, her, she and her husband, so I like going there because she gives me things that cost. But, you know, <laughs> but, but it, 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 to be able to buy my wife this stuff, it doesn't bring me extra I'm glad I can, but it doesn't bring me an extra joy. So I can really believe that worldly goods never completely satisfies. My dad used to say, you know, rich or poor, it's good to have some money. <laughs> the problem is we live in a materialistic culture. And there's a huge cultural battle for our focus. On the one hand, our culture wants us to focus on what wealth can purchase to find happiness and contentment. Listen to these, listen to these television commercials. All you got to do is buy their product and you'll be happy. You'll be content. On the other hand, Jesus Christ wants us to focus on our eternity. He wants us, he wants us to uh, believe in him and trust him for all things and not focus on those things of the world that cause us to become a casualty. Yes, we have to care about work. Yes, there are times that we have to work overtime. Yes, there are exceptions to all these things. But habitually do these things when you don't need to do it. Helps to cause casualties. Didn't Jesus say, you cannot serve both God and money? Didn't he say that? Didn't Jesus say, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you'll wear? Didn't he say that? It's amazing how many people will not go to services because they feel they, they, they can't dress properly. And I say, just dress modestly and clean. Don't worry about it. Didn't Jesus say, God knows your essential needs? Didn't he say that? Didn't Jesus say, as, a, as his disciples, we are not to be overly focused on our natural needs, but we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, knowing that God will see that our essential needs are met? Didn't he say this stuff? Is he a liar? He tells the truth. Therefore, we might be thinking wrong. We need to believe him. Let's face the fact that living in the kingdom of God is a constant struggle, is it not? It's a constant struggle to be Christ-centered and Christ-like. And if we lose the struggle, we become a casualty in the body of Christ. This is an example. Um, I've heard this on TV about the American Indian chief who's talking to his young braves about the struggle within. And he said, the struggle within each of us is like two dogs fighting inside of us. A good dog wants to do right, and the bad dog wants to do wrong. Sometimes the good dog seems stronger 
and is winning the fight, but sometimes the bad dog is stronger and is winning the fight. And one of the young braves asked the chief, who will win the struggle in the end? And the chief answered, the one you choose to feed. The one you choose to feed. Now listen, none of us need to be a casualty in the body of Christ. None of us need to be. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can and we must get the weeds out of our garden. But that will happen only if we make the personal choice to get the weeds out of our garden. It does not happen automatically. You can pray for it, you can sing for it, but it's not going to happen unless you take an action. And sometimes it might be too difficult to pull a weed. It's been, it's been there so long. So you might need the help of somebody else. So what do you do? You can call one of the elders and say, listen, i got a terrible weed in my garden. I'm having a hard time getting over this. Can you help me? And by the grace of God and brotherly love, this weed gets pulled. I think one of the main reasons we, we see far too many casualties is not only a lack of focus, but it's a lack of determination, a lack of purpose. One day a student approached his pastor, and he asked how he could get rid of the weeds in his garden, spiritual garden, to have a spiritually productive life. And the pastor thought for a few moments and then told his student, to meet him at the local lake and make sure he brought his swimming suit and a towel. The pastor waded out in the lake and then told the student to stand next to him. He then told the student to dunk himself in the water. When the student was under the water, the pastor grabbed his head and held his head under the water until the student could hardly breathe anymore, hold his breath anymore. He kept his head under. When the pastor let go, the student popped his head out of the water and began to grasp for air. One of those (gasps) type things. Pastor then said to the student, when you want a spiritually productive life as much as you want it to breathe, the air you just breathe, then you are on the road to have a spiritual productive life. And you will not be a casualty. The psalmist said, Psalm 42, verse 1, he said, As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Problem is, we don't, our, our souls don't thirst. We don't allow our souls to thirst for the living God. We try to satisfy our thirst other places with other things. In Matthew 5, verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled or they will be satisfied. Question is, do you really hunger and thirst for righteousness? If you don't really hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you don't hunger and thirst to be more like Jesus Christ, it's not going to happen. It doesn't happen just like that. You have to hunger and thirst And if you don't hunger and thirst, listen, you're not going to have that intensity. And there's a good chance you'll become a casualty. 
The bottom line is simply this. God wants all his disciples to be focused and aware of any weeds that had sprung up in their garden. He wants the disciples to be productive and not become a casualty. Revelation 19.7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. She makes herself ready. Those who are at the wedding feast will be those who have purposely made themselves ready. They tended their garden, lived a a spiritually productive life, and had not become a casualty all to the glory of God. Is it worth it? I'm telling you it's worth it. This is a hard message, but it's a message of warning. And you have a choice to heed it or not heed it. The Holy Spirit is rooting for you. Because if you don't have that intensity, if you're not pushing forward, you can be very easy to push you backwards. You hear what I'm saying? You say, yeah, but. There's no yeah, buts about this. Let's all stand together, okay? The Holy Spirit doesn't want casualties here. I certainly do not want casualties here. I know our eldership does not want casualties here. And you want to know something? The eldership looks out for each other. So we don't become casualties. Because we're all susceptible to become a casualty if we lose focus, if we lose intensity to be like Christ. God wants to bless us. So he tells the leaders to say this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. This peace in your heart, knowing that you're in the hands of your Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I love you a lot. Enjoy your day.